Welcome to this second bonus podcast, recorded live on a rather windy Riverside stage at Wellbeing by the Lakes Festival. This panel conversation focuses upon improving our self-worth and is led by Happiful writer and founder of Blue Jay of Happiness, Kat Nichols, Happiful's Jay Morjaria, who also runs Very Clear Thinking, and author of You Are Not Your Thoughts, The Secret Magic of Mindfulness, Francis Trussell. I am, I have, will be back on Tuesday, and please follow and subscribe to get this, as well as our weekly bonus episodes recorded live on Wellbeing by the Lakes Riverside stage as part of our Happiful Afternoon series. Enjoy. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to the Riverside stage, and happy full afternoons. Today we are going to be talking about self-worth, and the reason of that is because I've got a lot of history with self-worth. So my name is Kat Nichols, and I'm a writer at Happy Full Magazine, and I also run my own self-worth educational business on the side called Blue Jay of Happiness. And my self-worth story really started when I was a teenager, and I struggled with my self-worth, and I really, really did not value myself at all. And for me, that led to some quite bad mental health problems, including the development of an eating disorder. During my recovery, that was when I really discovered how important the self-worth piece was. Once I'd figured that out, I could build everything else on top of that. So that is why self-worth is something I try and educate people about and share with everyone. And something I did earlier this year to help with that was a self-worth fundraising challenge. And I did this for eating disorder charity, Beat. My challenge was to create and share one self-worth tip a day for 100 days. And it was a hell of a challenge. But we got there and it was great because we raised money for B and I learned a lot in the process. And the plan for this talk this afternoon is to share some of those themes from the self-worth tips that I shared. And I'm joined by my lovely panel here, which is Jay Mojaria and Francis Trussell, who I'm going to let introduce themselves. And yeah, we're going to be going through some of those themes. So Jay, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you, Kat. Uh, yeah, just introduce myself. My name is Jay. Uh, I work for Happy Fall alongside Kat. So I work directly with our wellbeing professionals, over 23,000 of them people. I also run Very Clear Thinking. So I help young people find out what success looks like around school, their future and around friends and just making sure that they're in a place where they can unleash their potential around that. From a personal point of view, I battled with uh, like chronic pain and mental health challenges for about 20 years. Only very recently, in the last couple of years, I managed to get to a position where I control the pain rather than the pain controls me. I guess part of the reason why I work with young people now is just a bit of a, a hat tip to um, the 16-year-old version of myself, uh, almost like, you know, putting that arm around that person, that version of me, um, you know, and sort of saying everything's going to be okay. Brilliant. Francis? Thank you, Jay. That was really inspirational. I, too, have ended up doing what I do because I was in a right old pickle. I was a right mess. I suffered with terrible anxiety and depression uh, since childhood. And finding out that I wasn't this nasty voice inside my head that was rather bitchy and horrible and judgmental and critical meant that everything utterly transformed for me. My my whole life transformed and it became a mission for me to change my life. I, I moved from quite a high-pressured role uh, within broadcast journalism to to training to become a mindfulness teacher and a therapist and um, so grateful that I get to do what I do and share the love of this fabulous stuff because there is another way love that absolutely thank you so much I'm gonna dive in with the first theme and that is limiting beliefs this was the very first tip I actually shared throughout the challenge 
was about identifying these limiting beliefs and finding the roots of them. These come up for us often in our past when we're younger. They can come from stories we hear from other people. So a common example I like to use is maybe an art teacher told you once that you can't draw and you're not creative. And then what happens is you tend to internalize that and it becomes a belief that maybe holds you back from doing something that you would actually really love. So this is something that can really impact the direction of our lives and the choices we make. So identifying them and changing them where we can is so integral. So Jay, I would love to hear your experiences of these, uh, perhaps personally and the young people that you work with. Yeah, sure. Just um, a bit of an analogy to share with everyone. So it's that kind of perception of that when we're born, we come out, you know, perfect as we are. Everyone loves, you know, babies. And then we add layers of conditioning. So it's kind of like, you know, layers on an onion. And the first layer is, you know, added by our parents. And then we go to school and teachers add their conditioning as well. And then when we grow up, um, you know, we enter into adolescence and it's scientifically proven that adolescents are hypersensitive to the influence of their peers and people around them. Anyone who's a parent in the crowd will intuitively know that. And then how that sort of plays out as we get older. So as Kat says, you know, it's our stories and being aware of our stories, our metaphors and our symbols um, that we hold on. And a lot of these have been internalized by the time we get to, you know, the adolescence entering into adult phase. So sometimes when I'm working with um, coaches, then I'll send them like a pre-questionnaire. A really good question that I ask sometimes is basically, I'll be happy when? And I get them to list down all the different ways that um, this applies in their life. So they'll come up with, you know, sometimes really typical things like I'll be happy when I achieve X amount of money or I'm happy when I get that promotion. I'll be happy when my car is as good as my neighbor and things like that. All, man all manner of trivial things. Um, but this is a lot of the times our stories that we've internalized and then how they play out externally when we become adults. And, th and again, these are limiting beliefs. These are parameters that we're putting in place on our ability to be happy and to be fulfilled in the world. So my personal example of this was I'll be happy when I no longer have chronic pain and once I got rid of that limiting belief that's actually when I started to make a shift away from that chronic pain being part of my identity actually being my probably my predominant identity and then moving on to something better. That's great and you mentioned there about being a parent so I'd love to hear have you got any tips for those who are parents or potentially careful or teach younger people how can we help younger people create more positive beliefs about themselves at that really malleable age. Yeah, I think that the thing that young people have in their favor is obviously they have time on their side as well. So whenever I work with young people, I tell them to take small experiments and experiment in a lot of different places because they're building their identity and they're building up an experience bank, uh, you know, accessible resources. And obviously as we're adults, we have the benefit of those resources available, which they don't have. So it's not so much about creating positive self-belief but it's more about um, knowing that when you experiment with things you can do that again and, and again and you can do things like um, you know gamify it or do it in a playful way and again young people are very good at that in terms of just running with things if you give them an idea they'll go and test it out or test it out and then eventually they can learn to do that as a bit of a habit so they know that when they come across a situation in which they're uncomfortable with or they're just out of their comfort zone they can rely on that ability to test things out and experiment and basically you'd run with different hypotheses to know whether something's true or not. Mm, I love that because that helps you to just create a more flexible mindset and it's that growth mindset versus fixed mindset. They know that they can then try these things and experiment. If it goes well, it goes well. If it doesn't, they learn from it. Yeah, I really love that. Thank you, Joe. 
So something I would say about limiting beliefs is, as I said, identifying them and their roots is really helpful. And some great ways to do that is through some reflective practice. I personally like journaling, but meditation, anything that gets you thinking and reflecting can be really helpful to explore this. And of course, you can also do this with a therapist. I think that's really beneficial and worth looking into, um, especially if you've got quite a lot of traumatic stuff in your past or things that feel really difficult to work alone with. It can be really nice to do that in a safe space. Because once we have identified these limiting beliefs and we've figured out what it is might be holding us back, we can start to create alternative narratives and things that will change it for us. And this is what a lot of people use affirmations for. And I guess if I could give one tip about affirmations, it would be to make sure that you believe what you're saying. That really is the key. I think a lot of people just try saying these things and thinking they'll fake it until they make it and they'll eventually believe it. But my advice would be to try and believe it up front. So, for example, if... Um, affirmations such as I believe I am worthy feels too difficult or too big for you right now you could soften it to I believe all humans are worthy because that's likely something you believe and that does include you but you're tricking your mind into thinking it's not and then over time you can build up and build up to a point where you feel comfortable saying I believe I am worthy so the next area I'd love to dive into is mindfulness and this was something I shared a lot about in the challenge because when we are mindful, we become a lot more aware of our thoughts and our critical thoughts, especially and what goes through our mind. So Francis, I'd really love to get your thoughts on this because I know you spoke about this in your book, You Are Not Your Thoughts, especially about how we can identify the critical thoughts. So I'd love to hear a bit more about how mindfulness and self-worth kind of interact. Absolutely. In terms of getting to grips with mindfulness, I think we're a bit of an overused word, well, I suppose because I've been knocking about in this business for a while. <laughs> it feels a bit overused to me. What does it actually mean? What does it really mean? Uh, so I always describe it as having our mind full of what we're doing when we're actually doing it rather than filled with the rest of the shit. Because actually, in terms of uh, training our awareness and our attention, which is what mindfulness practice does, we, we can get really easily so honed in and focused on those thoughts and the negative narratives that we get taken on through them. And actually, in noticing that that's happened, we get the opportunity instead to expand and, and notice that that is just one part of our experience. That which we focus on, we make biggest and brightest in our lives. Uh, and if we're purely focusing on those negative thoughts, which is certainly what we see when we, all of us, have those moments of going down, going down the rabbit hole, getting on those trains of thought and doing the loop-de-loop -loop of uh, those familiar stories which tell us about those limiting beliefs we can see that actually there's an opportunity for us to step off, to step back and to see both ourselves and the world in a completely different way. And, and that's what a mindfulness practice is. It's a, it's a constant retreat. It's a constant stepping back so that we can just see that bigger picture. And as you say, in that bigger picture, we tap into this common humanity that actually we're all worthy. We really, really are. And we can only see that sometimes when we step back. Absolutely, absolutely. And I know another area that you're passionate about within mindfulness is self-compassion. And that ties into self-worth in such an interesting way. And I'd love for you to share more on this. 
historically within therapy realms there, there used to be this big obsession with self-esteem stuff to boost our self-esteem and make us feel better about ourselves but unfortunately self-esteem is a little bit wobbly because it's it kind of comes with a tinge of comparisonitis we can't all feel above average because the law of averages if you look around you tells you that's just not possible and so because of that it's it's really important that we move beyond on stuff to just pump ourselves up yeah it's great to get a compliment or feel good about things but if we're using that as our measure of self-worth it's really flimsy it becomes this real seesaw of self-esteem where one day we're feeling really great because something great has happened and the next day we're back on the floor again whereas with self-worth we manage to tap into that deeper worthiness that is not reliant on external factors that is about us being a worthy human being regardless of the fact that we might have been been sick today and not managed to get all the things crossed out off our list shouldn't be down to that and that's why it's really important to recognize and be able to cultivate this deeper sense of self-worth that comes not through self-esteem but through self-compassion Oh, I love that. That's such a good point. And about self-esteem being a wobbly thing to do and having that internal validation rather than looking externally is fantastic. And I'd love to know as well, have you got any tips for anyone who may be just entering the world of mindfulness of how they can be more mindful day to day? Just practice. There, yeah. There's no shortcuts, I'm afraid. <laughs> there's just really do just give it a go because at first it can feel like oh god this is effort and I'm never gonna get around to doing a practice it's like keep it super super short super sweet it's about checking in it's about finding a practice that works for you Ellie and I were on stage having a chat earlier about what that might be and it may just be having your cup of tea and standing outside and maybe taking your slippers off, feeling your feet on the ground and taking a few breaths. And if that is where you want to start, meet yourself there, meet yourself where you are. And the more that we manage to connect to that deeper sense of self, the, the way that we're so much bigger and greater than this smallness of just listening to the chatter, the more that we'll want to and feel connected with engaging with that in a bigger way. So then we grow it into five minutes, then we might grow it into a 10 minute sitting practice, but meet yourself where you are and never beat yourself up about it. It's not another stick. It's, it's a tool for reconnecting with, with truth. Mm, absolutely. And what you were saying there about kind of the inner chatter that can go on. Uh, one of the tips that I shared in my challenge that really resonated was about thought stopping. And this is something that's really helpful if you find yourself in a negative thought spiral. So if you've got something you're ruminating on and it goes on and on and you're just finding yourself, sometimes it happens to me, I'll just be staring at like the floor and I'm just thinking and it'll be like five, 10 minutes and I'll forget that I'm supposed to be doing something else. And something that really helps me with that is to quite literally say to myself, stop out loud, say stop and then try and move yourself into a different environment. So this could be literally getting up and jumping up and down a few times. Something that really helps me is getting up and going and taking a shower. I don't know why, something about being in the water just helps to like almost wash away the thoughts. And then try and pick a new focus for your thoughts and try and focus on something else for the rest of the day. So yeah, that was one that just resonated. So I wanted to um, share that with you in case that's helpful. 
Now, the next theme we're going to be talking about is values and identifying your core values. And the reason this connects with self-worth is because I think when we are really clear on who we are as people and what we value in the world, that helps us understand what value we can bring to the world. It helps us understand what we have more often and just what we want to do in the world and who we want to be. So getting really clear on your core values can really help with that. And yeah, Jay, I'd love to hear, have you done any values work before? Yeah, I'd like to say so. Um, I think this builds nicely actually on what Francis said about self-worth. So I'll just, again, part of my story in terms of how how I managed um, chronic pain. And just to draw one distinction, um, as Francis said about sort of self-worth can be wobbly. The way I sort of explain it is either, um, there's a difference basically between your self-concept and self-esteem. Your self-concept is the product of your experiences in your life, the feedback you've had from your environment and how your values, how, how you've actioned and lived your values, I guess. Your self-esteem is your perception of who that self-concept is. When you take a step back and look at that person, are you happy with that person or not? How this played out for me was in my early 20s, I felt I was on this sort of default timeline almost in my life where, you know, quote unquote, academically successful. I thought, you know, it'll translate to a good job and I'll be you know, successful, whatever that ephemeral version of success was. I didn't even know at the time. But that's not how things played out. And so I think my self-esteem absolutely plummeted. I was dealing with pain on a daily basis. I was so fatigued that I couldn't even get through the day. And I was taking a step back and looking at this person and thinking, actually, you know, you're not very good. So my self-esteem was just constantly in a bad place. Now, the way I managed to get around that, I guess, or when it actually started to redress was when I started to emphasize different parts of my self-concept. So instead of identifying with being ambitious or identify with being successful, I started to identify with the person who's self-compassionate, the person that is kind to themselves, the person who has a contribution to make in the world. And when I started to, you know, those parts were always there, but when I started to emphasize more of those parts in my life, that's when actually the chronic pain, it wasn't just my entire identity anymore. There was more to me than that. I was able to realize that this self-concept was there. It always has been there and always will be there. So I know that now that's my resource to always come back to. I love that. And do you have any advice for anyone who maybe hasn't done this kind of work before, how they can start looking into it? Yeah, definitely. So I love doing values work with people. It's one of the sort of typical sessions that I'll do. I just wanted to give like a, a whistle-stop tour of how you can do that values work for yourself. So your values are how you action, you know, the things that are most important to you in your life. So essentially all you're doing is reflecting that question back. So ask yourself, what's most important to me about? And then pick a topic or an area of your life. So if I gave the example of, say, relationships, so and I answered that myself. So what's most important to me about relationships? Okay, being kind, connection, um, being compassionate, being considerate. And it, you'll find that your values will tend to be one or two words. And then you basically make a list, a way you can find out which ones are the most important. So ask yourself a question such as, if all my values were in a burning building, which one would I save first? <laughs> and which one would I save second and third and so on? And you'll come up with a hierarchy of which values are most significant for you. Then you can apply some sense checking to it. So some of your values might be in conflict. So for example, the earlier me who wanted to be successful wasn't aware of that need to be kind to myself even though that kindness was one of my values. So that conflicted. So you need to be aware of which of your values are going to be in conflict with each other. So you can do some sense checking around your values. And then finally, what you do is ask yourself is, what do I need to do to feel X and to feel that value? So what do I need to do to feel kindness? What do I need to do to feel compassionate? And then again, as I advise with young people, start making 
little experiments, put little experiments into your life. Where can I test this out to see whether this value is important to me? And how can I test this out to make sure that this value is something that I can live by? Because that's the whole point of this in the first place. So once you do those experiments, you start to create a bit of a feedback loop. And over time, you'll start to nudge yourself in the direction of living congruently with your values. Thank you so much. I love the idea of sense checking and seeing the conflicts. That's fantastic. And Francis, how about yourself? Have you done any of this kind of core value work and how has that looked for you? Again, really key work to do uh, within a coaching format in particular, just focusing on those whys. You know, why is it we do anything? Why is it we get up in the morning? Really important to understand what is at the root of that. And uh, and and so for me, uh, to, to, to inspire others so that we can all thrive and be happier because... That's what's really important, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and yeah, something I would add to that is that our values can change as well. So I don't think you necessarily need to think of them as set in stone. I think we evolve, we change as we grow. So please do come back to this work if you haven't done it, but if you have done it before, keep coming back. But the next area we're gonna dive into is self-care. The reason I focused a lot on this throughout my challenge was because self-care is really the way we show ourselves that we matter. So when we take the time to care for ourselves and show up for ourselves in that way, we're affirming that we are worthy and that we deserve that time and attention. And something that can really help with this if you struggle with self-care is to identify your self-care motivators. And to do this, I would ask you to answer two questions. The first one is, how will self-care benefit me? So think about it quite literally. So how will taking this time for me benefit me? And then the next question would be, how will this self-care benefit those around me? And this is the part that can be really helpful if you have these stories in your mind of self-care being selfish, because the truth is when we care for ourselves and we put ourselves first, we're actually much more able to be there for other people and to support those we love. And if you just write down the answers to these questions, put them somewhere you'll see them every day, it'll just give you a little reminder to take that time for yourself. So Jay, as a parent and a coach, I'd love to hear a bit more about your thoughts on self-care and how you prioritize it. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, as all parents in the crowd will know, unless you schedule something, it doesn't, it doesn't get done because at the end of the day, every single parent uh, is completely you know, scarce for time. So I guess I do genuinely sit down at the start of the week when I'm planning my week and um, schedule that self-care in. It, it gets some level of parity against all my other priorities that I have to do as well. Um, so when am I gonna, when am I looking to sit down and meditate? Um, even things like when I'm going to spend time with my wife, because again, that's part of my self-care routine as well. And then apart from the scheduling, I guess, um, knowing when you're going to do it, yeah, put, putting it into your diary and um, when you're actually going to do that. And then having a list, I guess, of like what your go-tos are for self-care mm -hmm. and just having that list, you know, readily available, whether it's on your notepad on your phone or just having a list printed out and stuck up somewhere as well. I guess it is that sort of scheduling thing for a parent because... Um, just that scarcity of time is always something that's going to push it out the window. You know, it's going to push it out if you if you don't make time for it. Absolutely. And I love the idea of having your self-care go-tos. I like to call this your self-care first aid kit. You can have it all written down and you can even get a box and put your favourite like things in there that can help you facilitate self-care. Maybe it's your book, maybe it's a movie you love. Um, and just having that readily available, as you say. Because the thing is, when we're stressed, our logical mind switches off. We find it a lot harder to make decisions. So when it comes to like, oh, what kind of self-care do I need right now? I'm really stressed. If you have that list, you can just like, okay, this always makes me feel good. I'm gonna do that. So yeah, thank you for that, Jay. And Francis, I'd love to hear a bit more. How do you prioritize self-care in your life? 
I think making it, modelling it and making it a priority in your life is so key for our young people because actually then they know that it's okay to do the same. And so my little people have always known that mum, you know, if mummy's sitting in the corner of the garden with her eyes closed and her legs crossed, <laughs> probably don't, probably just leave her for five minutes because she'll be a nicer person on the other side. And I, you know, and, and actually everybody, everybody's okay with that, aren't they? We, if we make that space, we're just lovelier to be around, whatever form of self-care that might be. And so, yeah, just, 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 make, just make the space, make it happen and it will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it will benefit those around you. Your yeah. loved ones will like you. I just think you're a much nicer person when you take the time. So I love that. And I think if I could add one more tip to this, it would be for the people pleasers among us. And that would be to try and recognize every time you say yes to someone else, you're saying no to yourself. So that is fine every now and then, but I'd really encourage you to try and keep hold some of those yeses for yourself. And that's just a little thought hack that I like to think. Every time I say yes to someone, I'm technically saying no to myself. So hold back some yeses. Okay, so the next final area we're gonna look into is self-expression. And this is a really incredible way to affirm who you are. This is the point in the journey where you've become a bit more comfortable with who you are, you're beginning to build up that self-worth, and now you wanna express that to the rest of the world. And this just nurtures our sense of self-worth and again validates who we are and what we're bringing to the table. And we can self-express in many different ways. It could be the outfits we wear, the way we've got our hair. It could be the opinions we share with other people. So yeah, I would love to hear a bit more about your journeys with self-expression. And Francis, I'll come to you first. What has your journey with this been? Well, you, you can never shut me up. So there's no, there's no, never been a problem with self-expression. It's just probably been unhealthy self-expression previously, and then as you, as I personally have gone on uh, that journey, it's become a more healthy self self-expression. So my my background is media. I I was one of these people pouring out news into the world don't hate me too much don't do that anymore <laughs> pouring negativity into your ears uh, and and then suddenly when this stuff really clicked in I couldn't do that anymore I couldn't be I couldn't use my expression to be putting negativity out into the world. And that really did, I had to pull the plug on, on many years of training and hard work <laughs> and climbing. And But that was absolutely the right thing to do for me because our voices are so important. What we're sharing with the world, what we're putting out there, be it like idle gossip or whatever, this um, right speech that we try and live from within the Zen practice that I do, you know, the words that you put out are constantly, you know, prayers to the universe. We're putting stuff out there all the time and being really mindful of of our expression, however loud or quiet that might be, is really, really key to how we feel and how the people around us feel too. Oh, amazing, I couldn't agree more. That's yeah, really interesting about your background as well and how that's changed for you, it's fantastic. And Jay, how about yourself? What's your journey with self-expression been like? There was a, a time in my life, uh, maybe in my early 20s, where I entered into the adult world and started working and my self-expression, the volume was on zero because the scariest thing in the world for me would have been for someone to find out that I was uh, I had this chronic pain, this massive dirty secret. 
And that was the scariest thing in the world for me at that time. So I basically muted myself and, you know, I limited how I showed up in the world. With that in mind, I mean, again, the only way I managed to diverge from that was, again, I guess with what I did in my 20s, like you worked in corporate sales in a very pressurized environment. And, you know, along the way, I started to realize that my values were diverging from that as well. And only when I actually start to live by my values and live by the kind of person that I want to be, then things will start to change as well, which is, I guess, to some extent, why I ended up at Happy Fall and why I'm a lot happier in a happier, in a better place where I am with things right now as well. Self-expression needs to be a lived experience. Your self-expression is not necessarily someone you need to try and be. It's just actioning that lived experience and making sure that it's congruent with your values and then your self-expression will naturally happen. Absolutely and that's kind of why all of these themes came up because they all interconnect so much under this umbrella of self-worth and do you have any tips for how we can encourage young people to express themselves more? Yeah I think they need to like do do them really um, you know a lot of people will say or, or, you know, this sort of aspirational um, career nowadays of being like, you know, um, a star on Twitch or being like a YouTube influencer and things like that as well. And if someone wants to do that, that's absolutely, absolutely fine. But make sure that expression is a true expression of who you are. And as a young person, you need time and space to build that self-awareness about who you actually are. So as long as it's coupled, coupled with that work of finding out who you actually are, then go and be the best version of yourself. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Jay. And yeah, thank you both so much for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for listening. This interview was hosted by Happiful at Wellbeing by the Lakes Festival. The wonderful Ollie from FB Music and Media Limited captured and engineered our sound. Join us again soon.